just pop that there. Good, um, good morning. It still is the morning. What time is it? Oh, I don't even know. 11.30. Good. So it's still the morning. So good morning is still relevant. What a privilege it is to be here uh, with you once again this morning in this newly updated building. It's, uh, it's just awesome to be here. And if you were able to join us last week, uh, you would have enjoyed it last week as well. Um, we're here in the centre of our town, in the centre of our, uh, in this whole area that we call South End Borough. We're like right in the centre, aren't we? In the epicentre of it all, in this wonderful building. And it's a great privilege. And I'm here uh, with you wonderful people. And I get the privilege of, uh, of spending a few moments now sharing with you. Um, it was a great joy to meet last Sunday to celebrate the opening, reopening of this building, but also, um, more importantly, to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his victory over death, isn't it? Um, so as we move forward now, uh, following Easter, uh, into our new life as a church, uh, and in light of the resurrection that we celebrated last Sunday. We are beginning today a new talk series uh, and we're going to be looking at the book of Acts. Uh, And it's a series that we've entitled People of the Resurrection. Uh, So over the next seven Sundays between now and Pentecost, we're going to be delving into uh, the book of Acts and considering as people of the resurrection what the Christian life might look like. In light of the resurrection, what might the Christian life look like? So we're going to spend uh, a few weeks now looking at that from the book of Acts. Um, So we're going to get into it today. Without further ado, we're going to open up Acts. Um, I'm going to be brief this morning because the children are in with us. We're opening up Acts, chapter 4. We're going to start in chapter 4. We'll dot around Acts a little bit back and forward over the next few weeks. But we're going to start in chapter 4. We're going to pick it up at verse 32. We're we're only going to look at four verses. So we're going to look at four verses. We're going to pick it up at uh, verse 32, chapter 4. I'll read that for us now. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. The future of God's people is to be of one heart and mind. As if you really think about it, it's an extraordinary claim. Really, the eternal future of God's people is to be of one heart and mind. That's the truth. The local church, and perhaps 
in some way or other, we can all testify to this, can be a funny old place, can't it? Um, just look around you now. It can be a funny old place. It, it can be a bit twee sometimes. It can be a bit naff maybe even. It can attract all sorts of people that we might can be considered oddballs. And I count myself in that. At its worst though, the local church can be a place of disunity. It can be uh, emotionally, maybe even spiritually and sometimes tragically physically um, damaging. It can be a place that brings more harm than healing, completely losing its way, drifting from the true gospel message and becoming completely irrelevant to the world around it and having nothing different to say from what the world has to say. When a church begins to exhibit some of those things, it's in trouble. And we do see it more often than we'd like. But what we find here in Acts chapter 4 is the local church at its best, it seems. Because in the church in Jerusalem, the believers were, as we read, of one heart and mind. They shared their possessions. The gospel message was preached powerfully amongst them. They were full of grace towards one another, meaning nobody went without. This is a church. According to Acts chapter 2, just a couple of chapters earlier, that the Lord was adding to the numbers of daily, full of growth and life. And I think even at one point, 3,000 gave their lives to the Lord and added to that church at one moment in one time. Full of life and growth. And in some ways, I guess that sort of speaks to us as well about our local church here. I mean, that church in Jerusalem was the epicenter of what would become a global movement. It went out from there. Churches went out, the apostles went out, churches were planted, the church grew. Many, many people, many, many Gentiles gave their lives to the Lord Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later. And the question for us is, here in the centre of South End, in our church here at St John's, is what is the local church going to look like here? Because in some senses, we've come here, haven't we, with a, a vision, with a, a, an aspiration that we feel the Lord's placed on us to grow, to send people out, to plant more churches. What is the church going to look like here in Southend? Now, being of one heart and mind, if we are realistic, we know that by any earthly standard, uh, when you get a group of people together and you ask them to agree on almost anything, it's, it's, it's quite often tricky, isn't it? Um, we're talking about a, people, a group of people of different ages. Just look around you now, different ages, uh, 
different life experience, different backgrounds, um, different upbringings, different ethnicities, sex, personalities, interests, etc., 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 and we could go on, couldn't we? All the things that might divide us and mean that we're different. I've been a Christian for uh, more than 15 years now. I know it uh, may, may not seem that long to some of us who have been Christians for even longer, but it might seem long to others. But 15 years is me, and uh, uh, there's one church experience in particular in my time uh, that left me battered, bruised, wounded. Without going into too much detail, it's a period of deep disunity amongst two groups of people in the church who both felt they were right. It led to accusations, to slander. Getting through Sundays was suddenly a test of endurance and resilience. The looks, the whispers, it was deeply damaging to everyone involved. Uh, Deeply damaging, of course, to the church's mission. Only served to turn the church inward on itself and no longer looking outward to the world in mission. Ultimately, a substantial number of people ended up leaving that church. I've seen similar things happen to multiple other churches, which friends have been a part of, etc. And perhaps we've got our own stories of those types of things. Yet... In the church in Jerusalem, the believers were of one heart and mind. How did they manage to achieve this? Or rather, how did the Lord manage to achieve it in them? I think we get a hint here of three vital ingredients for the local church. And like I said, I'm going to be brief this morning, so we're going to just whip through these three things. And then we'll leave it at that. Three things I think we find here, vital ingredients for the local church from Acts chapter 4. And the first one is this. They held their possessions lightly. It might seem an odd place to start that. They, they held their possessions lightly. Um, when Jesus comes into your life. You are grafted into the church. You don't only experience a change in the present, in the now, which we do, but we also experience a change in your future. You experience a change in your future. Your destiny is suddenly one of abundant inheritance. You're going to receive a lot and it's all coming down the road. And as you look forward to welcoming the kingdom of God in its fullness as a child, you're an heir of God, of everything that's his and his kingdom. That's the reality that happens when we are grafted into the church. Holding our possessions lightly, therefore, is a byproduct of the knowledge of who God is, of what his kingdom is, of what our destiny is. Also that we can't take those things with us. Um, 
that everything in this world is transitory. Some, church, some cultures in history have tried to take possessions with them into death. If you ever go to, I don't know, the British Museum or wherever it is, you'll see these Egyptian mummies, these pharaohs who were buried, and you can read about them. And they were buried with all their stuff. They just used to chuck it in. They probably dug their hole or whatever on their chamber, and they were just piling in all this gold because they thought they'd be able to take it with them. They can't. It's still there. It's in a museum now. Abraham, he knew his future. He knew his future destiny when he insisted on living in tents rather than houses because he knew he was merely a visitor here before joining the Lord in eternity. He knew he couldn't take it with him. Humanity has attempted over the, uh, over the millennia to come up with um, various ways of government and organising our societies. So, uh, some might look at this passage in Acts chapter 4 and conclude that what we're looking at is communism, for example. And some people do say that about this type of uh, verse, these type of verses. Of course, that couldn't be any further from the tr truth. In communism, your labour, your money, your possessions, they're forcibly taken from you, from the state. You no longer own them because they're taken away from you. And then uh, they're distributed amongst others, um, sometimes more evenly, sometimes not. Uh, it more rep represents a system of oppression, which is quite often why uh, uh, communist regimes uh, become synonymous with dictatorships. But the wonderful thing about the way the church is working here in Acts chapter 4 is that there is no force, there's no compulsion, there's no, not by any authority, other than the Holy Spirit working its, inside each person. That's it. The believers voluntarily share and sell their possessions because of the knowledge and conviction they have. This is far from oppression. Instead, this is ultimate freedom. Freedom to hold things lightly. To not be uh, bound by these things that we own, necessarily, but to feel free. Um, we are here, a church plant. Uh, we were planted back last September. Last week we opened the doors here for the first time. Um, Tom, though, is just over here. I'd, he probably wanted to stay incognito today. But give us a wave, Tom. Tom's there. Most of you know Tom, I imagine. But Tom was the vicar at St. Michael's who planted this church. Now, Tom could have said, I'm going to build a little kingdom here. And I'm going to keep hold of everything. We're going to build up our resources. We're going to become rich. And maybe even Tom would have bought a throne for himself or whatever. I don't know. But he didn't. That church there, Tom, along with the PCC, along with the congregation, they decided, no, we don't want to hold on to what we've got. We're going to hold this lightly. We're going to give it away. And they did take a financial hit. And they did take a hit of skills and of people and of all those things. 
Of course, the Lord's blessed them since, and they're doing better than ever since we left. I don't know, if, I don't know what that says. But, um, of course, you know, holding things lightly. That's the first thing. Sorry, I spent a bit longer on that than I should have done. We'll whip through this next one. God's grace is the second one, the second ingredient. God's grace was powerfully at work in them all. Showing grace towards one another, that, that is a key ingredient for a healthy church. Um, as we've said, the local church is made up of so many different types of people. I mean, my experience that I shared with you a moment ago, that damaging experience of church, goodness me, would that have been helped if there was an abundance of grace? Um, and maybe I need to learn that as well sometimes. But people will obviously, inevitably, say the wrong thing in churches. People will unintentionally hurt others. Um, it's inevitable. We won't escape it. We'll never build a church in, it, before the Lord Jesus comes again. We'll never build a church that won't have those things in it. Um, but it's our response to that, response to those things which is important. Do we respond in retaliation or grace? It seems that this church in Acts chapter 4 was full of grace. And they were able to grow hugely through it, weren't they? That's the second thing. The third and final thing is this. With, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. At the very heart of the local church. Not just the local church though, is it? Because at the very heart of the worldwide and the cosmic universal church of all the saints... <laughs> is the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. At the very heart, the very centre of everything. If we lose that, we become a social club. And when we become a social club, more often than not, we turn inwards, don't we? Serving our, only ourselves. I heard it once said that, um, that, off, that, that often the local church becomes a yacht club. The, uh, having a nice little time in the clubhouse, um, polishing the brass maybe, getting things looking nice, taking care of each other. Whereas really what the church should be is a life raft out on the choppy waters, pulling in anyone they possibly can get their hands on. What's our church going to be? A yacht club or a life raft? And it's only in Jesus that the church is able to find true unity. We can try to find unity in other things when we meet together. And we might be able to do that for a while. But ultimately, the only way we find deep, spiritual, eternal unity is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bound together in his death, bound together in his resurrection, all covered by his blood and indwelt by his spirit. 
So, just pulling this together. What we find here in Acts chapter 4 is this wonderful expression of church that has one heart and mind. (laughs) It seems an extraordinary thing. One heart and mind. But we see it's possible. Doing well with those three ingredients was this church. Holding their possessions lightly, grace towards one another, keeping the gospel message right at the centre. So, I guess the question for us is, at the very beginning of this journey, it sort of feels, I know we've been going since September, but it sort of feels like a new beginning again, doesn't it? At the very beginning of this journey, what sort of church is it? In the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what sort of church is this local church? What sort of role can you play in that? What's the Lord convicting you of? What's he calling you to? Might be all sorts of things we're uncomfortable with. But let's be um, attentive to the Spirit's call on our lives. At its best, the local church should be a snapshot of the eternal cosmic church. The place where all believers are united by the Holy Spirit with Jesus, the eternal Son, in the presence of God the Father. And if we even manage a tiny bit of that, I'm sure the Lord's going to bless what we're doing here, just as he blessed that church in Jerusalem and did so much through them. So let's just pray. Father, we, um, we thank you for your word. We thank you what we find here in Acts chapter 4. Lord, we, um, we pray that we here would know what it is. We'd experience what it is to be of one heart and mind. Not that we'd all be the same person, but that we truly know what it is to be of one heart and mind, bound together in you. Lord, help us um, to be a place where grace is abundant. Work in us, each individually and as a body, Lord, to show that. And Lord, show us and give us dreams and visions for the future of what you want your local church here to be. And as we look outwards, Lord, help us to engage with our world. Help us to be that life raft and not the yacht club. And show us, Lord, as maybe even some of us are here for the first time or one of the first times and we're just wondering whether this is where we want to be. Lord, I pray you'll speak to those people this morning. Either way, whether it is or isn't the right place. And if it is, Lord, and even some of us who have been here for a while now, Lord, show us our particular calling here. Give us a purpose, Lord, in your great mission. You have ordained the local church to be your hands and feet 
to be your mouthpiece. Lord, help us to find all, all of us to find our place in that, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.